Please insert additional coins. It's Daisy Lee. You honor me with your presence. Grizzly Lee. Pokemon so tiny hurts so much. Rat Diggler. Usually stronger than the average. And has a friendly attitude. Is. Throwback. We will not back down. Welcome to another edition of The Throwback. I'm your host, Chris Meany, joined by Brad Sigler. Happy Wednesday, February 26th. That's right, no Jake Seeley here, so Brad and I are just going to talk Kansas Jayhawks the entire show. Brad, let's go. Let's, Jayhawks. Let's baby. do it. They're going to cut down the nets this year, so we may as well get out in front of it because it's there's nothing stopping this team if they stay healthy and stay out of foul trouble. Jokes aside, we won't talk Jayhawks, but Brad and I have been in communication over the past week or so talking about the Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah, there's lots of greatness over at The Athletic if you're looking for some March Madness podcasts, all kinds of stuff. We will talk to Jake in a little bit. He's actually in Indy this week. I'm sure you're well aware. Following the Combine, we're going to check in with Jake in about 20, 25 minutes or so. But Brad and I are going to go through some news and notes from yesterday at the Combine, some takeaways, uh, take, a, take a look at some of the measurements that's been going on. Apparently, Joe Burrow is just going to straight up retire. Uh, his hands are small. Uh, <laughs> you saw that tweet, right? Considering retirement after I was informed. Um, I, I forget the exact quote. The infor- I think he informed the football will be slipping out of his tiny, tiny hands. Uh, yeah. Please keep him in your thoughts. So we'll get into that in just a little bit. But if you are new to the show, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us, whether it's on the Freeverse, iTunes, Spotify, the Athletic app, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate you. Soon we'll be going back to two shows per week. But as of now, we are one per week. And when we get into the draft of free agency, we'll have some emergency pods for you guys. But if you don't have a subscription over at The Athletic, it's simple, theathletic.com slash the throwback will get you 40% off. There's an article that just came out about an hour ago. The NFL Combine 40-yard dash isn't everything, but plenty goes into training. That from Ian McMahon. So lots of just NFL stuff coming out every single day. Um, if you're into the baseball season, Fantasy Baseball Podcast, Fantasy Baseball in 15, Al Melchior, Derek Van Riper, and then the Fantasy Baseball Podcast, Derek Van Riper, Matt Modica, um, Michael Beller, Nando Dufino, all kinds of good stuff. Everyone's taking care of all the baseball fans out there, but we're here to talk football. I guess let's start with Joe Burrow because that's everything is going to be made out of him. He's obviously going to go number one. There's been some talk over the past few weeks. I think last time you and I did a solo show together, we talked about Burrow. And I think maybe, was it after the the championship game? I think it may have been. And we talked about the opportunity, like just the thought of maybe he not wanting to be a Bengal. And much has been made of that, Brad, over the last 30 days or so. He squashed all of that this week. And then he's a baller. Whoever takes him, he's going to play. He talked about how cool it would be. He could go home for supper if he wanted to, obviously being an Ohio kid. But much was made yesterday about his small hands. Measured at nine inches from thumb to pinky. Tied for the smallest hand size among first round QBs. Measured at the combine since 2008. In 2016, we had Cal quarterback Jared Goff measured with the nine inch hands. To me, I, I think it's overblown. But you have to take in consideration of the fumbles. That's the one thing, right? Can you take care of the football? we just seen like Burrow just completely lit it up in college. He's perfectly fine. But Goff had some fumble issues. What do you make of the the small, tiny hands? I, I don't think it's a big deal. It, it's you know they, they talk about like late season cold weather games. Can he hang on to the ball as well? I think that's uh, you know to a point. It's a little bit of an old school way of thinking. Like Mahomes, you know, came came on and weighed in on it and said, you know, I think me and my tiny hands are doing just fine. And he he had nine and a quarter inch hands at the combine, so it's not like he had. Mm. 
you know, the 10 inch hands or whatever. But one, one that I thought was even potentially more interesting. And this is a guy that I thought was a, a potential late first round pick, maybe early second is Jake Fromm. He came in at eight and seven eighths and that would, that would smash that, that, you know, yeah. record a little bit. So, um, you know, Burrow, obviously you said he's, he squashed the combine or squashed the notion that he wouldn't want to play in Cincinnati. Like anybody, he, all, all he was really saying is he had some leverage. He had some negotiating leverage. He's not going to need a whole lot. Like, bottom line, if they're drafting him first overall, he's going to be um, – they're going to pay him to be the franchise quarterback and and try to put guys around him. And and that's going to be an easy selling point because he's already got wide receivers there. Like it, They've got Tyler Boyd. They've got John Ross. Um, if they lose A.J. Green, they'll probably bring somebody in. This is a great draft to do that. This There's got to be 20, 25 wide receivers that, that might – maybe 20 – I. I was looking at around 20 going in the first two days of the draft. And if that happens, there's, it's just the, the depth is incredible because if you go all the way down to the 20th wide receiver, you're still getting a pretty good player. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you tweeted out recently just some pre-combine top 10 wide receiver rankings and running back rankings. We'll get into that in just a little <laughs> bit because there are some teams that stand out to me. There was some rumblings yesterday, I think, at the combine about Arizona addressing wide receivers at the draft, which is just, it's crazy to think about adding one of those top 10 wide receivers to, to that offense and Kyler Murray and what we could see in the years to come in Arizona. And then, of course, the Oakland Raiders as well. And we'll, we'll touch on maybe the, the Raiders in just a little bit. Do you think A.J. Green is back? Do you think he he moves on? I I think he moves on. I think they're going to have to do a pretty good sell job um, to keep him around. And I don't think at this point he's based on what he's gone through in Cincinnati that he's willing to stay for a discount. And I just don't see them being the the highest bidder for him. Um, I think he's a really good fit with the Patriots and and just on a short contract, but um, high dollar deal. But to bring in a veteran guy that's that can you know that be a guy that Brady just has as kind of. Not an underneath safety valve, but a safety valve in that he can just kind of throw it up to the guy and trust that he's going to go make a play on the ball. He hasn't had that for a couple of years now. And, and I think back to what Randy Moss was for that team. And not that, it, not that AJ Green is Randy Moss anymore at this stage of his career, but he can be that style of player and, and it could be a, a pretty good weapon for several teams. And, and that's just the first one that pops into my head that, that, you know, desperately needs receiver help. Yeah, for sure. That would be a good fit. I, I, I would agree with you there. I, I think he stays. I think they find a way to, they, Cincinnati is a weird organization to figure out. They're, they're hard headed. They don't typically spend money, but they gotta figure out Joe Mixon as well. You mentioned Tyler Boyd. I, I think they find a way to keep AJ. And it would be a decent offense, I think. I'm not saying Joe Burrow is going to come in and be a stud year one, uh, but I think it'd be a decent offense, obviously, if they're able to keep AJ. Some other news at 2 obviously, um, these two have been linked now for, you know, over 15 months, I would say. Uh, and then with the injury to Tua, he's obviously fallen back in the draft board, but probably still potentially going to be a top five pick. Just the positive is that, you know, he expects full clearance early next month. He looks like he is, he's going to be good to go, fully cleared by, um, mid-March and, you know, appears to be planning a pro day one month later after that. So if, if all goes well, what's your thoughts on Tua? Where do you think he lands? And let's look into the crystal ball a little bit. Who has a better career? Ah, man. Um, I, I like Burrow. I like Burrow. I, um, 
I, I don't, I didn't see any weakness out of him. And the one thing that I think is extremely underrated about his game is his ability to scramble and run. He's not a running quarterback like a Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, but he's, he can scramble and he's not, you know, not stuck in the pocket like a, you know, a Tom Brady uh, type player um, or even Drew Brees. It's, he, he can get out and run a little bit. And that's impressive for a guy his size. He's, you know, six, three and a half and 221. That's a, a big guy that, that can move a little bit. Um, that being said, the report this morning from Ian Rappaport about, about Tua's hips, the MRIs were as clean as hoped, fracture is healed, and there's no loss of blood flow in his hip. That's like, great I don't news. know. Yeah, I don't know how at that point it Amazing. almost makes you wonder, like, is he going to have any restrictions at all by the time, um, you know, the, the draft rolls around by the, you know, obviously his pro day, you hope he's healthy because everybody wants to see, they, we want to see him. We want to see him get out there and throw. We want to see him move and, and if he is able to, to squash those, those, uh, you know, the, those questions, you can see him going as high as three on a team trade up. I, I think there's a really good chance that, um, you know, Burrow goes one and I think, um, what's Chase, the, the guy from Ohio State, defensive end Chase, uh, Young. Chase Young is, yep. is probably going to go two. And outside of that, I think then you see this Russia teams trading up to, to three. The Giants, Gettleman came out yesterday and said they're open for business at, at the four spot. There's going to be a lot of, this is a very top heavy quarterback class and whether it's Herbert, whether it's, um, you know, someone, you know, maybe a mid to late first rounder, Jordan Love, you know, as a guy that I've seen mock to the, both the Colts and the Patriots. And, you know, it's a, there are quarterbacks in this draft and, you know, even, and no one's really talking a whole lot about Jacob Eason. This guy's a monster. He came in yesterday almost 6'6, 231 pounds, nine and a half inch hands and a 79 inch wingspan. Like, he is a beast of a quarterback, and if he has any teachability at all, we know he can throw. The, the question is going to be, can he be accurate enough to, to please NFL quarterbacks? And if he is, then, you know, he could be a kind of a, you know, late first, early second um, steal, kind of like a Drew Locke type type player. Obviously, he's a lot bigger than Locke, but um, where he fits into the, the rankings, I could see him being pretty good too. And this is just going to be a, a really fun quarterback class to watch. I know everyone talks about the wide receivers and the running backs, but you're right. It is going to be fun to just see it all unfold with the quarterbacks. I figure you're right. Young probably to Washington at two, and then everything else after that is. I mean, it, Detroit, I, they obviously don't need a quarterback. They said today, I, I saw some reports about Matthew Stafford looks like, you know, full recovery. He's their guy, obviously. He's having a pretty good season. He's a guy that we talked about a lot on this show or over the course of the season. But you're right. I mean, Miami could move up right now at five. I, I figure I got them slotted in as getting Tua. I mean, it, maybe that's a little bit too obvious, but they do need a quarterback. But then the Chargers are after that and Herbert, as you mentioned. So it'll be interesting to see it unfold. Anything, any other takeaways that you had, like from just rookies and combine stuff before we get into some news and notes? And of course, we'll, we'll dive back into the combine stuff with, with Jake, but um, anything else in terms of measurements, any other standouts? Yeah, there, there was a couple. Um, from a running back standpoint, Eno Benjamin weighed in at 195 at the Senior Bowl and he came in at 203 yesterday. That's really impressive to put on that amount of weight in a, in that short amount of time. Um, and he, he's now, or sorry, 207, even better. So he, he gained 12 pounds since the weigh-ins at the, at the senior bowl. It makes me wonder how he's going to test because the rumors were that he had lost a bunch of weight to try to test well in his 40. And then he was going to be able to put it back on because he played it about, you know, he was listed at 210 last year by Arizona State. He's a, he's kind of a polarizing guy because he could be a guy who you could see being like a third round pick and he could also be a guy you see as a sixth round pick, um, because of how small he is. And, but if he has that weight and if he's still able to test well, um, you know, that, that's one 
um, that I, I would kind of keep an eye on as a, you know, explosive pass catcher out of the backfield. Several of the running backs came in a lot lighter than I thought they would. J.K. Dobbins, 209. Um, and DeAndre Swift, 212. I expected those guys to be bigger because Jonathan Taylor came in at 226. And when I watched Jonathan Taylor play, he looks fast to me. And if he's fast at 226, it's like, I think he's far and away my number one running back in this class. I think he is head and shoulders above everybody else. And all, all I really think he has to do at the combine or in his pro day is show the ability to catch passes out of the backfield. If he does that, he is, a, he should be the first running back off the board. So follow Brad at Brad Ziegler if you don't already, but I'm looking at your pre-combine top 10 rankings. You just mentioned Taylor at one. You want to roll through them, and who do you think is maybe an underrated guy outside the top five who you think could actually get into that five? Yeah, sure. So so um, I have my, my top 10 is Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, Zach Moss, Joshua Kelly, Keyshawn Vaughn, and LaMichael Pirine. Um I, I surprised a couple people by putting Edwards Hilaire ahead of Akers. He had like something like 55 catches this year, which is just insane in college, especially with how good the wide receivers and tight end were in that offense. Um, Antonio Gibson, I, I saw him listed as a wide receiver yesterday, so he's kind of like a, a, a kind of a two-way player, but he's I think he's going to test really well, really athletic. Um, I looked at Zach Moss as as like a you know a good player, but not. Not anybody that really stood out to me because if he was the top five running back that a lot of people have him as, I think his numbers should have been better in the Mountain West or or whatever conference Utah's in. Um, It just, I I wasn't overly impressed um, that he just didn't have a ton of standout. It was a lot of carries, a lot of yards, um, but it just kind of felt like pretty average numbers. The guy outside the top five that I like the best is Joshua Kelly, um, running back from UCLA. And he, um, he, he measured well yesterday, 5'10", 5'8", um, 212 was his weight, 76-inch wingspan, big long arms for a running back. He catches the ball out of the backfield. I think he's going to be really good, um, you know, a good, like, third, fourth-round running back, maybe even go a little higher than that depending on uh, if there's a run on running backs in the second round like we tend to see sometimes in the NFL draft. Um, but I, I think he's going to be a really good fit in the NFL for just his style of game. Which one of these guys is going to go to the Bucks? You know, I, yesterday <laughs> I just shook my head and, you know, the Tampa Bay is talking about looking at OJ Howard in a little bit. We can, that's tongue in yeah. cheek, whatever. Um, but Ronald Jones, like they expect Jones to be even better in 2020. Come on. They're, they're drafting a running back early, are they not? They have to, but it, like, is, is Ron, is a better Ronald Jones really saying a whole lot? Like, if he's a no. little bit better, you're, you're, you still don't have an NFL quality running back at that point. So, yeah, um, exactly. I, I think, I, I mean, if I had to pick a guy right now that I thought would be a good fit, it'd be like a Cam Akers at the top of the second round. I think he'd be a really good fit there. Um, you know, they, they probably know him pretty well because he's from Florida and, and played at Florida State. Um, had a g- great first couple of years in college, took a little step back this year, but their whole offense did in general. So I, I don't put that all on him. Um, I think he's going to be a pretty good player, and I I see him being a, a guy they could they could target. You know, they have the oh, we'll see how high are they picking in the second? Oh, forty fifth. So forty fifth overall. That sounds about right. Maybe that's what's that like twelve, thirteenth in the second yeah. round. That that yeah. I could. That's a perfect spot for a guy like him, or even a guy like Zach Moss. If if Moss shows that he can catch the ball. Uh, well in his drills too. Um, they need a three down back there. They don't need to. 100%. Ronald, Ronald Jones is not a pass catcher. He, I mean, he caught less than 20 passes his entire career at USC. And 
he he hasn't shown that ability in in the NFL either. Even though he's a smaller kind of shiftier back, they need a guy who can who they can put in there and know the other teams have to honor both the run and the pass when he's in there. And um, hopefully they'll they'll be able to grab one of these guys. And Arians is tough to read because he he says a lot of stuff and you don't know if he's even being completely honest with you. And so, um, you know, the, the stuff about OJ Howard yesterday was, is, is a little ridiculous because we've seen OJ Howard be an elite pass catcher and he, you know, acts like he, you know, is okay as a pass catcher. He needs to get better. And it's like, I would understand that if you said you need to get better as a blocker, I think he's still a decent blocker. Um, but basically He's trying to deflect off the fact that they didn't use him this year. And it's almost everybody, everybody outside of, of yeah. Tampa Bay is like, why aren't they using OJ Howard? I mean, he was a fourth round pick in a lot of, in a lot of, you know, uh, 2019 drafts last year. And now you can get him in, in the early best balls. You can get him in the 13th, 14th round. It's, um, it's just crazy because they just don't use a tight end. And, and, and of course, right now there's big question marks with who the quarterback's going to be there. Um, so it, it's not even, um, you know, you need, you feel like you need a different quarterback in there if OJ Howard is going to come back because you need someone who looks at a, a tight end. Um, and, and Jameis Winston has proven, you know, for the most part that he doesn't. Yeah, OJ Howard may not even get drafted in your random 10 team league or 12 team league. He may not, he honestly may not even go drafted. I mean, you see the upside, but yeah, that was one thing that I just rolled my eyes at yesterday is the Ronald Jones talk and then the coaching staff in Tampa Bay talking about how they're more than excited about what the tight end can bring and what he can do in his second year under Bruce Arians. And then Bruce Arians talking about how basically you know, I, I saw the report from Ian Rappaport. He had just said that on NFL Network that he knows what he's doing at the quarterback position, but yet Jameis Winston has no idea what the heck is going on at the quarterback <laughs> position. And quote, we can win with Jameis. I know that. So who the heck knows what's going on in Tampa Bay? But, um, you know, Bruce Arians and obviously the two wide receivers in Godwin is in Evans. It's, it's exciting from a fantasy standpoint. So I am intrigued to, to see what's going to happen with, with Arizona. There's a couple other just news and notes and takeaways and we'll, kind of tie into maybe your wide receivers is I think it's very clear and Mike Mayock kind of stated a little bit that they need some help at the wide receiver position uh, most of the questions that he fielded yesterday were basically around Derek Carr and he was impressed with Derek Carr and he did some good things and and who really knows there's obviously some Tom Brady reports and they're just reports and rumors that, that he could be a member of Vegas uh, but they need some help at the wide receiver position so who do you got pre-combine top 10 wide receiver rankings and I know you're not a big Raiders guy but who do you think would really obviously all of these guys to see the top 10 would all help them out yeah they they, they need they to basically target. draft like six of these guys so um <laughs> I, i've got cd lamb as number one that's a, a little contrary and yeah, a lot of people yeah. have jerry a little judy. bit a little bit yeah, yeah a lot of people have jerry judy number two i just like the size like like um you know lamb came in uh six six two basically 200 pounds 198 pounds um judy's a little smaller six one 193 um, just a, a little bit smaller BMI, um, but the you know similar wingspans. Like they're both good athletes. Like look, they're they're both going to test well. And um, the guy that my number three, so I had Judy at two, and my number three is Jalen Rager. He's actually probably my favorite receiver in this whole class because I think he's going to blow up the combine. I think he's going to vertical jump off the charts. Forty yard time is going to be blazing. Um, this is just I like I cannot wait. You know, for, for the combine to roll around and, and for these guys to, to start testing. Um, I know the wide receivers test on the first night, um, tomorrow night. Um, I will be, promise you I will be watching because it's, 
it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these guys run. There are some big-time athletes in this class. Um, my number four is LaVisca Chenault, and he, he's a guy that has been very much hampered by quarterback play, by offense in general at Colorado. Um, but they lined him up. This tells me a lot about a guy. They lined him up in the backfield. They wanted him getting carries. They wanted the ball in his hands, whether it was running routes, whether it was wide receiver screens, out of the backfield. They wanted to make sure he was touching the ball. And I feel like that's smart coaching because, number one, they know this guy is their best player on the field. But, number two, it tells you what kind of abilities he has. And in today's NFL, you see guys like Tyree Kill and um, Debo Samuel lining up in the backfield. That's that's really versatile um, when a guy can do that. And and because running a route and getting open is a whole lot different than seeing blocks and being able to make a cut. And if a guy can do both, then I think he's, he's you know, I'm seeing late first round with him. Uh, and I think he's going to be a, a fun player to watch. Maybe not quite as a rookie because he's a little bit raw. Um, but I see him more as like a second, third year breakout guy. Um, and a guy that I definitely want to grab in, in a rookie draft. Um, number five, T Higgins came in yesterday, measured six, three and five eighths. Sorry, six, three and five eighths and weighed two sixteen. He is a monster in an 81 inch wingspan. And we've already seen over and over again, them just throwing the ball up to him, let him jump over the top of D backs. He's going to be able to do that in the NFL because he is so much bigger than them. If he runs in the four fives, I, he's a lock for the mid, mid to late first round. Um, I, I think Buffalo, uh, has been mocked to him. The Eagles, I could see being a good fit yeah. for him. Um, and you've probably heard some stuff there too. Um, I, I really like uh, Brian Edwards out of South Carolina. I'm bummed that he's got a broken foot and he's not going to test. And that's a, a a big bummer to me because as a senior, you would expect that this guy be a little bit better. And hopefully he's good by his pro day uh, because I want to see him, um, you know, just see him test and see him run. Um, I, I think he's going to be a really good player. Uh, number seven, Henry Ruggs. My biggest concern right now with Henry Ruggs, he, Henry Ruggs might run the fastest time of all the wide receivers at this combine. He definitely wants to. Yeah, man. he, he, he thinks he can to. beat John Ross's record. He, yeah. like, this guy floats. And he's a blast to watch. But he's not, he reminds me a little bit of McCole Hardman, better, a better version of McCole Hardman. But in that he's a little raw as a route runner. And I'm, I'm just not sold that he's going to have an immediate impact as a wide receiver in his first year. Unless he's a guy who's just taking the top off. And, you know, we saw that with Hardman. Hardman did not have a lot of catches this year. Most of his plays, his, his touchdown plays, big plays, were when plays broke down. Mahomes is scrambling. Then he finds Hardman because after four or five seconds, D-backs can't keep up with him. That's the kind of guy I see Henry Ruggs being. He, Ruggs, I think, is a great fit for the Raiders. They need a, a deep threat. They don't have anybody on their team right now that is a deep threat. And Ruggs is probably the best one in this in this draft class. So I think he's a really good fit. Um, I love Justin Jefferson out of LSU. I think he's just a really good, solid receiver. I uh, have him at number eight. Number nine, Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota. Um, and it's, you know, I, that's a guy he's, he's very kind of polarizing. He wasn't even invited to the, the senior bowl. Um, I think he's a really good player when I watch him. I think his film is fantastic. Everybody thinks he's not going to test well and he's, his 40 yard time, if it's in the four sixes, there's a, I've heard people say there's a chance he doesn't even get drafted. He wow. could also, if he runs in the four fives, and it, as small of a difference as that seems, he could also be a second-day pick. And I, I could see anywhere in between. He's probably most likely right now an early early to mid-third-day pick, like fourth, fifth round. Um, and and I think he's going to be a, a pretty good NFL player once he gets acclimated. Uh, number 10, I have Denzel Mims out of Baylor. Um, senior, um, I, not, not a lot to 
the only, literally the only thing that I think you dislike about this guy is the fact that he comes from Baylor and they have this pretty big track record of their receivers not doing well in, in the NFL. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, the fact that he was, um, you know, under a, a coaching staff there that is now an NFL coaching staff. I think he's a great fit in Carolina as a, as a second receiver. So they can put Curtis Samuel in the slot, um, put, put him on the opposite side of DJ Moore and, and just have a really, really explosive offense getting Cam Newton back to run it. Yeah. And speaking of Cam, nice little segue there. We'll get into him in just a second. I like the case you made for Lamb. I understand. I got JJ, I got JJ as the first wide receiver off the board. I got him going to Oakland, but I mean, it could certainly be, I think they go wide out with their first pick. Um, I would be a little surprised actually, but it could be rugs. Uh, but I, I do have uh, JJ in there as well. How many of these guys have you already drafted in best balls? <laughs> um, I've got, so I've done three you got best shares balls. of all of them. I've done three best balls. Um, I have, um, Jonathan Taylor in all of them. Um, I'm taking him all in the fourth round. Okay. If I can get him in the fourth round, I think this guy is, is, is a better version of Josh Jacobs. I think he's going to be a mid to high first round pick. I really hope, I know a lot of people are, are saying DeAndre Swift to Miami. I really hope they take Jonathan Taylor because Going in there with an established quarterback, um, they, you know, it, assuming let's, let's do, let's say they draft Tua. Tua's not going to start week one and they, they'll go out there with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Fitzpatrick knows how to run an offense. We've seen that. It's not explosive in the sense that he's going to win a lot of games, but it's explosive in the sense that he makes other players fantasy relevant. And when that happens, it's, you know, they're talking about putting Mike Gasecki in the, in the slot some. Um, they're, they're talking about, you know, if they get, uh, help me out here. The receiver that got hurt this year that was a rookie was doing really well. Press, Preston Williams. Press, Preston Williams. That's right. So, so if you have Parker and Williams, you've got Gasicki in the, either the slot or playing the, the move tight end, and then you get them a legit running back. Last year, the running backs they were rolling out there after they traded Kenyon Drake were atrocious. And it, it, it was almost embarrassing in the sense that like, if you handed the ball off there, you, you felt like you were just doing everybody a favor, um, because they didn't have any running backs who could do anything. And if they go and get, a DeAndre Swift, a Jonathan Taylor. I, there's, I really think that the Miami offense could be really fantasy relevant this year. Um, as bizarre as that sounds, it doesn't sound that bizarre at all. Actually, uh, you know, it can only go up from here, Brad. You know, we'll talk to Jake here in just a minute. But first, um, about Cam, there's really not a whole lot to say. Obviously, you know, Rule wants Cam. He's excited for that. The fact that Cam is healthy, he wants you know Cam to be a big part of that offense. Just yes or no? Are you in on Cam Newton fantasy next year? I am, and especially at the price. Like I, I literally drafted him in the twelfth round last year. There's or in or last week in a in a I, I got him at twelve point two as a second quarterback to Kyler Murray in a best ball. I I think if Cam is healthy and it, by all accounts it's looking like he's gonna be, there is no reason why he can't I mean he's gonna have weapons galore around him they're probably gonna ask him to not call his own number at the goal line which is some of his you know past fantasy value um it I just think there's a really good chance that with the weapons around him he's gonna be able to do a lot of stuff through the air and it's not gonna take a whole lot of effort from him just get the ball in their hands and and let the guys make plays um DJ Moore is a top five wide receiver for me uh going into this season I and that's that's predicated on Cam being healthy to start the year. But I love DJ Moore, and I have DJ Moore in the second, second, third round every single draft I've done so far. Those are kind of my guys. I've grabbed Jonathan Taylor in the fourth. I'm grabbing DJ Moore early third. And I'm getting Cam Newton in the twelfth round because I just think there's there's a lot of upside with those guys in, in those spots. 
All right, without further ado, let's bring in Jake Seely, who is in Indy following the Combine. Jake, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Throwback, your show. We missed you in the first half hour. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, live from the Combine, although like right now there's literally nobody in this room outside of the media. <laughs> So how's things? You know, we saw you tweeting about Gettleman yesterday, right up your oh, alley. Oh, yeah, yeah. I asked Gettleman about the whole analytics thing, and he tried to say, oh, it was a throwaway line. Yeah, sure, buddy. Uh, and um, also, he got asked 17 times about Daniel Jones and finally told him the last person to give it a rest. And actually, he said, what did he say? He said, uh, let it go. Yeah, like he, he pulled the frozen on the guy. <laughs> so he's frustrated with all the, the Jones questions, but they're all warranted. I mean, what were most of the questions? You were wrong about him? You were right about him? Like, what, what were most of the questions directed around Jones? Well, if we're talking about Gettleman, uh, for that one, is look, he, it's, it's the fact that he sets up his own problem. You guys know this. Is For Gettleman and the Daniel Jones thing, it wasn't the fact that, like, oh, you made the wrong decision. Oh, is Gettleman, your, you know, is he going to be your quarterback of the future? The thing is, he goes, you know, Daniel Jones is my quarterback, but then people followed up with the question of, what are you going to do at number four? Would you take your quarterback? Would you take a player? He's like, we always take the best player on the board. We're always going to explore all of our options. So he sets up his own problem. That's the problem. Like, we know Daniel Jones is going to be the quarterback next year. We know they're not taking a quarterback at number four. But the media – see, that's what I'll tell you guys. This is what I'll tell you. Like, and not just you and Brad, but everybody who's listening right now. The one thing – that I learned last year and even more so this year, when you see tweets and you see people reporting from the combine, now I'm not including myself because I only use direct quotes, but when you see things like, I'll give you the perfect examples, a few minutes later I saw on a site that said, Gettleman said we're open for business for number four. No, he didn't. He never said that. Somebody said, are you willing to trade down because you don't trade down in the first round? He said, we're always willing to explore all options. Nothing's ever set in stone. We're out, blah, blah, blah. He never said, yes, come trade for our pit. So anything you read from the combine, 95% of it is people trying to make a headline. Just learn that and know that right now. And I, I mean, isn't it, isn't it true? And I, as a Giants fan, you probably know this or a previous Giants fan, you probably know this. I, I've, I heard a rumor <laughs> or not a rumor necessarily, but a report that like the Giants have never traded down in the first round. They never traded down at any point. And in the draft, and if if that's the case, like it would be a you know kind of a break in philosophy, but also it would be it probably a smart move to you know if there are teams just vying for these quarterbacks at the top and they're thinking they got to trade up in front of Miami, in front of the Chargers, um, it could be a really good move for them to trade down and, and acquire a whole bunch more assets that that they definitely need to fill out the depth of this team. Oh, as soon as Tua said that all his reports are good and the medicals are good and everybody likes the hip and it's one hundred percent blah blah blah. The second pick, the third pick, the fourth, all of those became supremely valuable. And if somehow somebody doesn't jump in front of the Giants for at two or three to take Tua and it's on them, uh, they'd be honestly idiots not to, especially in this draft, as you well know. Uh, this draft is loaded for skill position players. A few other, you know, you can look at some of the defense too. But, yeah, it always makes sense. In general, it makes sense to trade back. You give yourself more bullets. Uh, so everyone listening to the show, they already know that – all in kid is the Twitter handle. We're talking to Jake Seeley here in Indy. But just in case, you have some great some great tweets. We already kind of touched on Arians and the craziness of O.J. Howard and, you know, rumblings out of Tampa that they expect more from Ronald Jones. We kind of laughed at that and mocked it. But one of the things that I want to talk to you about is, and then we talked 
with you, Jake, last week about Kenyon Drake. We were talking about running backs and situations. Kingsbury, you had the quote there, couldn't have been more impressed with Kenyon Drake down the stretch. Another quote, would love to have him back. He's a perfect fit for our offense. What kind of feel did you get that, you know, how genuine he was about that? And what do you think the chances are that he actually is going to bring him back? So I think he was 100% genuine. Uh, whether or not I believe it's 100% likely, uh, that's another situation. But I believe this year, more than any previous year, the likelihood is increased because we know this. Look at the draft class of running backs. Look at the free agents of running backs. I mean, for all the talk about how the ties have been severed between the Chargers and Melvin Gordon, I mean, now there's rumblings that he still might come back after what Anthony Lynn said to me about Austin Eckler. So, you know, this the situation is kind of like a perfect storm for being able to get Kenyon Drake back in a situation where you're like, well, why would you want with David Johnson and Chase Edmonds? But, you know, the, the positive talk about David Johnson, you could spin the other way, too, is like they hope to get anything out of him would be a positive. So I actually think it could happen. Uh, it, like, he's one of the ones that does seem genuine when you talk about that stuff. Uh, and I'll mention one thing, too. I don't know if you caught this. Brad, specifically. But I, I, I interrupted Andy Reid, so I have that going. Oh, <laughs> how, how dare you? I'm like that's one of the see one of the tough things here is trying to figure out the cadence of head coaches and players because if you don't jump in you're never going to get your question asked and he paused and it was a pregnated pause <laughs> and I jumped in and he started talking again <laughs> and so, uh, he looked at me and a couple of people laughed a couple of people rolled their eyes at me but here the good thing was is he looked right at me after he was done answering the question so I got my question in did he give you a dirty look or just a little <laughs> sly smile. No, he kind of like you know. I don't think Andy Reid smiles, does he? I don't know. Like, I just, yeah, not he, often. He, maybe with his eyes, he smiled at me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the Santa Claus glow that he may not actually yeah. smile, but he kind of winks at you, and you know you're on his good side. Then uh, I saw you tweet about Sammy. You mentioned Watkins. That was my question. Yeah. What What did he say about that? He just said that he had good talks with them already and that Sammy Watkins was in a good place and he, you know, doesn't really understand where a lot of the talk is coming from, but Sammy Watkins was the one that brought it up. So. Interesting. What do you think about that, Brad? Uh, I, I will say this. They, their GM, Brett Veach, yesterday said that there's no way Watkins is coming back on, you know, with the, on the, the current contract. Um, I think they would like to have him back. He said there's been open dialogue. Um, with, with his agents in constant dialogue, which is always a good thing that, you know, they haven't cut off communication or anything, but there's zero chance, um, you know, with their cap situation, they have other needs. They want to try to bring back Chris Jones. There's no way Watkins comes back at that dollar amount. And I would, I mean, I would tend to think there's a really good chance that they get outbid in this process. And if, if Watkins comes back, it's, it's taking a discount to stay with the team that he feels like has a shot to another, to, to win another Super Bowl. So Jake, you said you talked to Anthony Lynn about Eckler. What's the latest there? Yeah, with the quote that a lot of people tweeted, I was like, hey, that, that was my question. But everybody's <laughs> tweeting out the answer that he gave. I asked him, I made it very specific. I said, you know, Austin Eckler started off huge at the beginning of the season, 20 plus touches a game, and then not so much. It's like somebody that you want to touch the ball 20 times a game next year per game every single week. And he said, well, you know, he did this past year a couple times. And he goes, I have no problem with that. And everything started positive. He goes, you know, I used him in the receiver position. And I used him everywhere, and I was giving him 20 touches. But then it kind of skewed the other way because he followed that up with, you know, I found ways I like to use him on the line of scrimmage. I like to use him in the backfield split out. I like him in that position where he's kind of with somebody else. So, you know, to have somebody else back there lined up with him, a tandem role, you know, I, yeah, I need another guy. And he said that. That was his final thing. I need another guy. So that's where I'm saying is like, 
maybe Melvin Gordon ends up back with the Chargers. And if not, maybe they bring in, you know, we talked about before how uninspiring Jordan Howard would be for a lot of teams, but that kind of power option. My biggest concern is not that Austin Eckler is going to see a decrease in touches a significant amount, but it doesn't sound like he's ever going to be the answer inside the 10. And then what if it's only five carries a week and we're looking at a James White, Nick Chubb with the situation with Kareem Hunt, that, that type of role where everybody's excited to put him in that RB1 territory after what happened this year, but maybe he's still the same Austin Eckler that should be an RB2. Yeah, when Brad threw out Howard to the Chargers, I was actually thinking about it the rest of the day and how I thought it would be a decent fit, but it would definitely, to your point, Jake, you know, how many touches would Eckler get inside the 10? How many would he get inside the 5? Not very many if they had a back like Howard there to, to drive it in. Yeah, and if they're grinding out a game and a win – I mean, really, is how much is he going to be on the field? Yeah, no, it's a good point. I want to get your other final thoughts and what you're looking forward to the rest of the week. But, you know, since I asked you about Kingsbury and how genuine he was, and I just kind of glossed over Arians, did you buy anything that he was selling yesterday? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, especially because I don't know if you saw his uh, response to O.J. Howard, but, he, oh, he's one of the best blocking tight ends. Uh, we, we've seen a lot of improvement for him in the passing game. Oh, what are you talking about? He's an amazing receiver. We've seen a lot of improvement. Get the hell out of here, you dude. Yeah, so, he's, so, yeah, sorry think, he's not quite on Mike Evans and Chris Godwin's level. But, I mean, he, <laughs> let's compare him to other tight ends, and, and that statement is just hogwash. The one thing I will say from Bruce Arians that I thought was telling, and I'm sure – I think you guys have probably seen the tweet where he said it. He said, when it comes to Jameis Winston, you know, that's the one thing. You know, these coaches aren't stupid. They're not going to tell us anything. Like, we're not going to get some secret insight of who they're going to pick and what they're going to do in free agency. Uh, you had a few where they said, yeah, we're going to try and sign somebody, and we know we have the tag if we have to, which that's pretty clear of an answer as you're going to get. But when Arians talked about the Jameis Winston thing, he said, yeah, we, you know, we could definitely have him. He had a better season that people want to give him credit for because of the, and I'm paraphrasing, because of the interceptions. But then he said, we'll have to see what's out there first, which, you know, makes sense. I would expect the Buccaneers to do that, but it doesn't sound like it's a lock that he's a back with the team. Jake Brad just rattled off his top 10 pre-combine wide receiver ranks and running back ranks. He likes everybody. Yeah, Jake, I'm, I'm super <laughs> excited for the wide receiver testing tomorrow night and, and I'm curious, like, what what is your – you've been there before. What is your favorite part of the testing? Is it the 40? Is it the vertical jump, the shuttle run? Is You know, I know there's a bunch of new drills this year too. Is there anything that you're especially looking forward to this year uh, that you haven't um, – that, that maybe you haven't seen before or that you look forward to every year? Uh, to be honest with you, it's none of the drills. My favorite part is the interview process to ask them things like, what's the underrated part of your game that nobody gives you credit for? Or, you know, like a perfect example is Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor. I asked him, I said, you know, what's the myth in your game that you want to get rid of at the combine? I know you're talking about wide receivers, but just my example. And, you know, he said that people think that coming from Wisconsin, I'm a power back and I can't play third down and all that type of stuff. You know, I want to see what these players are at the combine thinking of themselves that they need to prove in the NFL. And for wide receivers, you know, can I play outside outside if I'm thought of as a slot wide receiver? Because we've seen it before. Yeah, we can get some information off the testing. Uh, I think that you, I've said this a million times before. The testing will make me go back and look if they're extreme outliers. You know, if somebody's falling in the range of everybody else, what does that really tell us? I mean, DK Metcalf was one example of – Everybody saw how poor he ran in the shuttle. didn't matter. We've had other examples of, like, Darrell Green Beckham who blows up the combine and sucks and doesn't last in the NFL. So the skills competition – well, I've called that skills competition. The skills, you know, the tracks and all that type of stuff, I would say just 
unless it's an outlier, I don't really care, honestly. Do you have one that you're looking forward to? Uh, there, there's a couple. And yes, just, he does. Yeah, I, T, T. Higgins and Jonathan Taylor, the two to me. Like, Taylor, I love the fact that he wants to prove he can be a pass catcher because, to me, that's the literally the only question mark in his game. He's proven he can be durable. He he weighed in at 226 yesterday. Um, Higgins came in at, at as so he's so big. He's almost 6'4", 216 with an 81-inch wingspan. If he's fast at all, like if he runs in the four fours, four fives, I I think he is is going to be the guy that a lot of people are are climbing up to see. And then there's always the the fast guys. I mean, I love uh you know Jalen Rager, Henry Ruggs, um, these guys that you know even um wh- who's the little guy from uh, KJ Hamler from Penn State. It, these guys are gonna burn oh, up the him. forty, and it's they're gonna be fun to watch because they it's just running at a different speed than anybody else. I saw you were at the Pacers game last night. Looks like you're having a good time there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pacers games last night and that what, was a 40-point blowout. And then uh, <laughs> we're in Indianapolis, so I could bet it. We put a little bit of money on the under in the Pistons game, and oh, it came nice. down to a half half point. A half point. It was the most ridiculous thing ever. Uh, there was a dude who was friends of Mike Clay from ESPN because I was out with him and uh, Barry and two other guys from ESPN. I don't know. You, you know, uh, Daniel Dopp and then yeah. DJ Gallo. So we were all out. And the dude put fifteen hundred on the under. So all four of us were like, "I guess we're doing the same. Let's do it." And we all put down like fifty or a hundred bucks, and we were sweating this damn thing out at Buffalo Wild Wings to the final a half point on the under. It was the most like like I don't know how people bet because this I I could never do that in my entire life again. It's sweating it out, man. Vegas, they know what's going on. It's it's crazy how dead on they are sometimes with these half points and stuff. All right, Jake. Well, we really appreciate the time. Um, enjoy the week. Have fun and give us some more quotes, man. Want some more stuff? Yeah, we'll you know, talk more about it next week for sure. All right, uh, that's Jake Seeley there. Give him a follow if you don't already at All In Kid. Final thoughts? We didn't really get to Cam Newton. You know, you were touching on Cam Newton there. I was going to ask him about Cam, but we kind of already went through it. I agree with what you said before Jake came on, Brad, about Cam Newton and just the value. Right, this time last year he was getting a lot of buzz. We were wondering about the shoulder. We didn't really know. We just said, okay, maybe he won't call his number all that much. Maybe he'll change his game, but he certainly. Um, his game was different, I think, last year, and he became more of a pocket passer. I don't know if that's a great thing, but I agree with a lot of things that you said, Brad. A lot of weapons surrounded around him, and we're just going to get a discount this time next year, and I'm all about the discount life, man. Yeah, for sure. That's Everything's about value and ADP. I mean, early in the draft, you I, I like drafting for stability early on, upside from about the fifth round on, and there, it's tough to find more upside at the quarterback position than getting getting Cam Newton in the 12th round because he has, it's definitely in his range of outcomes to be a top five quarterback. And, and it's, it's not with the weapons around him. It's not that hard to see. I mean, he's going to throw the ball over a hundred times to Christian McCaffrey, which is always a good thing. DJ Moore is going to get, you know, he should get around 150 plus targets. Um, if they do go and get another wide receiver opposite him and, and, you know, put uh, Curtis Samuel in the slot, there's just, he basically, it's not going to matter where he throws it. He's getting the ball in playmakers' right. hands. And at that point, um, they're a broken tackle away from big plays right and left. There were two other things, news notes, that I wanted to get to before we get out of here. So on the way out here, there's some reports that uh, Hooper is not going to be a member of the Atlanta Falcons. We'll probably get into more of that when we we the past couple shows we've been touching on wide receivers and running backs, where they could land. Actually, I don't even think we got to wide receivers. We went to running backs and quarterbacks. We'll, we'll talk about tight ends in a little bit. But where is it, do you think, is a great landing spot for Austin Hooper? And do you think it doesn't matter where he goes, that he does definitely have top five upside? Because we've seen it for two years in a row. Nobody bought in last year. 
but I think now people are buying in and you're going to have to pay that price, Brad. Yeah. And I mean, the obvious, the obvious choice is New England because they didn't have anybody to replace Gronk last year. We talked earlier about them not having a wide receiver on the outside. If they, if they address both of those things and let's say Nikhil Harry takes a little step forward this year, they've got Sanu in the slot. And if that happens, they actually could be back to where they have enough weapons to, to help a guy like Tom Brady be fantasy relevant again because he really wasn't last year and um as good as that team still was they they have major holes on the offensive side of the ball if assuming they bring back Brady he's only coming back I think if they make a commitment to give him some weapons and I so that that's a a perfect guy to me a big athletic tight end um that you know they they put you know they put uh you know Edelman you know assuming he comes back and and is is healthy and um, is still able to contribute. They, there are pieces there, but they need more. And, um, I, I love, I love Hooper. Hooper was my favorite pick in like the eighth round of every, every draft last year. And it, it did a lot of good for me, you know, the first 12, 13 mm-hmm. weeks of the season. I like the fact that he's with Atlanta. I mean, defense is bad. They didn't have a run game. They were throwing constantly. But, yeah, I'm thinking of him on the Patriots. It's a nice fit. But, um, you know, with the Patriots comes the hype train and comes the price tag, which kind of increases. So I don't know about that. And then the final thing, Sean McVay says he isn't sure if Todd Gurley will have his reps managed again in 2020. Last year he had 254 touches, 223 carries. Um, not a career low. He had 229 as a rookie. But the year before he had 259. But in the 2016 and 2017, he flirted with 280 in back-to-back seasons. So last year, 254 touches. The year before, 315. I'll give you an over/under. 250 touches for Todd Gurley in 2020. I'm gonna go under, and I I just think that that it's it's. I think they should go over if they're gonna have any chance to be a successful team. It needs to be more. Um, I, I think they're really hoping that Darrell Henderson takes a step forward this year and they, they traded up to get him in the third round last year. Like th- that's decent draft capital for a running back. And for him to be as non-existent as he was last year, I, I have a feeling that they're going to try to, to get him more involved. Um, last year it looked like their, their game plan was kind of to, to slow, slow play Gurley early in the season, use him a lot more later in the year. And that didn't yeah. work. Like they were, they ended up not making the playoffs. And I think they were hoping to have him healthy at the end of the year. I think this year, you run him out there early, you and and you ride him as long as he can. If at some point he breaks down, then you use these other guys. But you don't slow play it and hope that your your passing game um, is, is enough this year. The the you know the biggest drop off was in receptions last year. They, it, it was it was yes. such a drastic drop in receptions, and it made you wonder like. That, that shouldn't be that hard to get, get him out, you know, on a screen pass or, or running a little slant route or whatever. And it makes you wonder if he, if he's just not cutting and they needed to keep him between the tackles to, to keep his longevity, uh, there for the season. And, um, I, I'm going to go under on that because I don't, I don't think he holds up. I think they're, you know, even as much concern as it seemed like they had last year, I think there's actually more than what's there. Yeah, I would agree with you 100% on that one. Uh, you know, you look at 2017, 87 targets, 64 grabs. 2018, 81 targets, 59 grabs. This is a big part of why we liked him a lot is his his usage through the air. And then last season, only 31 catches on 49 targets. So, um, yeah, concerning, I think, for sure, and girly owners in Dynasty Leagues. Brad, always a pleasure, man. Brad Ziegler on Twitter, myself, at Chris Meany again. Jake Seeley, you know, as he always says, you know, it's all in, kid. Um And just the time to stop because they're doing some fire alarm testing in my building. So we will be back next week. Brad, enjoy the combine. Everybody out there, enjoy the combine. you have any questions for us, hit us up on Twitter. We'll catch you next week. Cheers.